Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. Welcome to episode seven of Your Health and Your Wealth right here from my living room. If you are watching live right now on Facebook and LinkedIn, remember you can leave a comment or a question below and I'll try to get to them during the show. And if you're watching across any of my other social media platforms or listening on Spotify, thank you very much for tuning in. Now, I'm broadcasting on a Friday instead of a Thursday this time to make sure we cover what happened yesterday, which was the uh, federal budget update and things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker. So I'll tell you more about that a bit later. But first, let's start with your health. Now, last year, I lost around 14 kilograms, but I was never really a big guy. I just leaned up a fair bit. And for me, it was all about cleaning up my food. And I guess the, the bigger thing was shocking my body into a, a new style of training for me. And that piece of exercise for me was high-intensity interval training. So to tell us more about the pros and pitfalls of HIT, I'm joined by fitness instructor Corey Gooch. Hey, Corey, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Matt. So let's start with the basics. What is HIT? Sure. So HIIT, high intensity interval training. So it pretty much is what it is. It's high intense, it's intervals, and it's training. So we're kind of uh, breaking training down to short, fast, hard bursts, trying to get that heart rate high, intense, with a little bit of recovery, and pretty much going from that. Uh, run us through some of the exercises that comprise of HIIT training. Well, the best thing about HIIT is that you're not actually restricted to anything. We could do HIIT training using dumbbells like you see in that video, you know, squat presses. So you're also using um, resistance training as well as just doing cardio. You can do interval training with just running, body weight. You can even do it in the pool, swimming. So you're not really restricted. As long as you can get your heart rate nice and high to a high intensity level, then have a recovery. I do like to add some resistance into it, like dumbbells, stuff we do in class, like we see in the video. That is also just going to give you more of a benefit as well. So getting that heart rate up, right, what are the benefits? What are the benefits of HIIT? Right, the benefits of HIIT, one, obviously time. You know, you're going to burn maximum calories in a shorter period of time. So the idea is that you do get your heart rate high. Higher your heart rate, more calories you're going to burn. So you want to get that up as high as possible. Um, recovery. When it comes to metabolic rating like HIIT, you're going to burn a steady calorie burn for about 24 to 48 hours after doing that high-intensity interval training compared to, say, a long run when you'll just burn out that max calories and that will be the end of it. And if we run through who is it for, is it for anyone of all ages or, you know, right. do older people need to be a bit worried, that sort of thing? Sure. Do you know what? As it's high-intensity to you, so it's specific to anyone else, what's going to get your heart rate to the highest point? So you'll also find more often, and you would have found this as well, fitter you get or more often that you do it, harder you kind of have to work to get your heart rate back up to that point again. So you can start at any level you like, as long as you're hitting that heart rate. And you'll find over time, you'll start to get a little fitter, a little fitter. You'll have to work a little harder. So HIT isn't restricted to any particular group of people. Anybody can get into it as long as you're doing it safely and you know how to approach it. Okay, so how about the intensity or how often should one do HIIT training? Because it, because it is pretty yeah. – it can be hard on your body, I guess. And how do you work it in with other exercises? Perfect. So you don't want to be doing HIIT training more than two to three times a week. 
because you're working hopefully at a hard enough level that you need time to recover. If you're cruising through it and you can smash out hit, I'm doing hit every single day, you're not working hard enough. It needs to be a lot higher than that. So three, four times a week of high intensive interval training should be enough. Um, what I found was interesting for me last year, especially when I first started, it, it kind of got addictive, right, because of this natural high you get. And I started to do it a fair bit. But let's talk about some of the injuries you can get if you're not being careful, because I noticed that my knees started to give way and I started to get really sore knees because of the, the sprinting work. So what are the things yeah. you need to be careful about? Yeah. Well, even changing up the approach of intervals, you don't have to do running scan intervals every single day. You could do an interval of running one day. The next day can be more body weight, you know, burpees, squat, push-ups, mountain climbers. The next day you could go into the pool, intervals in the pool, or even just using your dumbbells, squat to press. We do a lot of snatch kind of work. Um, changing your approach so you aren't just smashing the same thing on your body. Say like if you just went running every single day. There's so many options of how you can get that heart rate up. However you are, whatever tickles your fancy and whatever you can find around the house, I guess. And anyone that's looking to get into it right now, if they're a beginner, what would you say to them? Definitely you know, jump online, find some research, follow somebody's pre-planned workout already is probably the best way to go. And then, you know, coming out of COVID, there's a lot of content online now for exercise. So there, um, you, you'll find a guy on Instagram that you like the best, follow his workout, and then you can start to get a bit more creative with yourself and you can put something together. And Corey, just finally... You know, in this health environment, people are worried about COVID. You mentioned COVID. What do you say to them if they still want to be training with, say, an instructor, if they're in an indoor venue or if they're training outside? Well, first of all, I would say training before coming to your physique and your heart, it's it's for the head. You know, you'd know the same. It clears your mind. It makes you more, like, gathered to the day, ready to take it on. So super important that you keep training throughout any kind of travel like this. Outside, find a trainer. Best way to do it. Lots of trainers working now in, uh, during this COVID period. So, um, you know, as an experienced person is going to put you through it, you walk down the park and you'll see 50 trainers down there training people. So approach anyone you can. Hey, Corey, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me on Thank Your you Health man. and Your Wealth. Thanks, mate. See ya. That's Corey Gooch there. You can follow him on Instagram at the underscore Corey Gooch. That's C-O-R-Y-G-O-O-C-H. Okay, so that was your health. Let's now move on to your wealth. And yesterday, the federal government unveiled a huge $184.5 billion projected budget deficit. What is it? Why should you care? And more importantly, what's in it? And to help me with all of that, I'm joined by UTS Business School economist, Warren Hogan. Warren, thank you very much for joining me. It's my pleasure, Ricardo. Warren, maybe let's start by talking about one of the things that will impact most people, and that's JobKeeper and JobSeeker, right? They were the changes to 2.0 were announced earlier in the week. How good are these policies? And, and for those that, that don't really understand them still, what do they aim to do? Yeah, so these are emergency policies the government put in place when the pandemic struck to, to basically do two things. One is, you know, be fair to people who have lost their job and give them a basic income. So there's a real sort of social humanitarian piece. Um, that was the big increase in the job seeker. Um, and then the job keeper was as aimed at the same thing, making sure people had good in, a reasonable income. 
but also keeping them attached to their employer. So the, the job keeper was essentially a wage subsidy, which means the employer gets paid and then they can pay you. And, and obviously a lot of people on JobKeeper got a much higher level than what the government subsidises. And that also helped businesses too because it let them, uh, you know, help them with their cash flow once it got up and going and it allows them to build a bit of a reserve given that uh, revenues are probably down. Let's talk about some of the actual figure changes, and I've got I've got them up here. So if you want to talk through them, because there will be some changes to the amount from October and January, and then the same for JobKeeper, right? Yeah. So what we've seen this week is essentially um, the government has positioned as an extension of JobKeeper and 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 the sort of the more um, generous JobSeeker that they put in place during the pandemic, because the original policy back in March was was going to end in, in, in September. But really, from the get-go, people like me were telling them that you can't just stop it suddenly because if you stop this suddenly, you're going to pull a lot of people onto a lower income if you're on JobSeeker or you're going to take a lot of sort of support for businesses away and they'll, they'll, they'll sort of have to get rid of staff because, you know, there's no way that all businesses are back to where they were pre-COVID. So the government's responded and they're now sort of winding it down and although they've extended it for six months at a, at, a, at a lower pace and the whole idea here is from an overall economic point of view what they're trying to do is they're trying to wind these emergency programs down and get the economy going again and and they may need to do other things like lots of infrastructure spend or reskilling and upskilling or various things like tax cuts to try and get the economy going. But it's important to understand that this sort of really high intensity emergency support that the government's provided through these programs, you know, is not going to help the recovery going. Because if you've got this really generous job seeker, and, and obviously there's a bit of a debate going on about this, but, you know, are people going to stay on that rather than go and get a job? Uh, that's the government's view anyway. And then the job keeper, of course, means that people are often going to be attached to businesses which, you know, may not be doing as well and may not, you know, bounce back. Uh, and then you're hearing stories increasingly even now about businesses who can't find staff because, you know, staff are attached to other businesses. So it's a really, this is the really big issue for the government is how to get the emergency policies sort of finished and then get the, sti the other stimulus yep. to get the economy going. And really the reality is just you know, when the health situation allows. Um, you know, I don't think we can stop these emergency policies until we put the virus behind us. For those people that aren't watching and listening on Spotify, just to, to tell them what they're not seeing on the screen, so the changes for JobKeeper from roughly October for those on full-time, you'll get uh, $1,200 per fortnight, uh, those part-time $750, and then from around January that kind of goes down to $1,000 for those on full-time work, part-time $650, um, and then those uh, on JobSeeker will earn or get about $850 but they can earn on the side $300 and still be able to qualify for that job seeker. So that's that there. Uh, Warren, well, let's talk about... Ricardo, I think it's just important to note that that was at $1,500. Uh, well, it is at $1,500 now until September. And then by January, the, the job keeper is going to be down to $1,000. And the government estimates that their payments are going to go from $11 billion a month to $2 billion a month. So they've got this quite optimistic view that not many people are going to need job keeper and, and that of course remains to be seen yeah what, what do you reckon do you think it'll be extended further on 
Well, I'm, I'm worried that the, the virus isn't going to go away and that, you yeah. know, what we're seeing in Victoria now isn't the end of little outbreaks and so forth. And, and I am worried that they're, they're, they're pulling the emergency supports out a little bit too quickly. Hmm. The actual budget released yesterday, a lot of the headlines was about that $184 billion deficit, projected deficit. Why should we care about this number, if at all? And how will this debt, especially when we talk about national debt on top of that, how will it impact the average person? Look, I don't think we should be worried. Certainly don't sort of hear the big headlines in, in the news, in the newspapers and on the social media that says, you know, how these are unprecedented and so forth. The reality is, is that we need to, 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 to use this um, capacity we have to borrow. Um, the, the government is borrowing very easily at the lowest interest rates they've ever borrowed at um, to support the economy, to stop more jobs being lost, to make sure people get these elevated welfare payments and various things. So we shouldn't be worried because the reality is, is that the debt is not necessarily needing to be paid back for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You, you sort of name it. You can see this all around the world. And this is the important issue is that other countries have much, much higher levels of debt than Australia. You know, it has been very important that Australia over the last 20 years has maintained a degree of discipline with its governments uh, in not racking up debt unnecessarily. I mean, some people would argue they could have, you know, done more infrastructure spending and borrowed for that and so forth. But what it means now is that we really can go out and increase these debt levels without putting too much stress on our economy and certainly not putting stress on interest rates. So it's nothing to be worried about uh, by anyone. Um, it's it's going to be you know literally generations that will be paid back and, and no one will notice it. Is it fair to say that during time, like during a recession, that it's not necessarily the debt that the average person has to be worried about, but it's their job, it's the unemployment rate? Totally. You know, the, the real problem we've got right now is primarily a health problem. Um, and then, of course, the fact that there's, you know, a million people have probably lost their jobs in the last few months. And I can't see that suddenly coming back. In fact, I think there will be more job losses as they wind JobKeeper down because people are keeping those jobs only because the government's subsidising that. So that is the critical bit. You know, the pressure being brought to bear on our society is huge. We're doing well in this country, um, despite what's happening in Victoria. And, you know, we're obviously concerned about that. But you look at, you know, we all see what's happening overseas. This is a global disaster of, of, of magnitudes that we've only seen in war. So, look, the main game right now is to protect our community, uh, to keep people, you know, safe both mentally and physically um and and look forward to the to the recovery it might not happen now and i think the government's obviously very keen to get that recovery going which is you know understandable but we've got to navigate this pandemic and we've got to keep our community together and most importantly our way of life the system we've got a great democracy we've got a great economy and we don't want to you know we want to be out that's the most important thing we can hand to future generations and speaking of looking forward, you got we've got the the final budget, I guess, uh, in, in October. What are you expecting out of that? Because uh, tax cuts, those, those July um, twenty twenty two tax cuts, are they more than likely being brought forward? Do you think? Well, that's been talked about, um, and I, I'm, I, th I think it, it's you know not a bad strategy. I mean, the reality of the budget um, is that they're going to try and plot a path forward for the, for the economy and, and for our, our society. Uh, and they're going to, you know, put forward policies that they think will 
help us to turbocharge the recovery over the next five years. And really, that's the main game is to once we get past this virus, and we will, whether it's later this year or next year, it's about how quickly we can recover and get people back into jobs. And that's, I think, what the focus of the budget is. They gave us absolutely nothing yesterday in terms of new policies. So I think you're going to hear a lot about sector-specific supports for those that are most impacted, whether it's travel, tourism, what have you. Then you're going to hear about things like tax cuts. You're going to hear a lot about industrial relations and trying to make the labour market more flexible. And I hope the two things that I think are absolutely critical is a bomb of fiscal, uh, sorry, of infrastructure spending, just huge mm. increase in infrastructure spending, and the other one being a genuine strategy for skilling, reskilling and upskilling. So, you know, our traditional model is scholarship, which is, you know, going to uni, and then, you know, technical education, which is trades. Well, the reality of the world of the last 20 years is right in the middle of that is a whole bunch of skills, most of them related to digital, the digital world, that sort of bridge the two worlds. And we need a clear strategy on how to get the Australian, the broad Australian community ready for the new digital economy. It's here, it's now. And the reality is that the focus actually is not so much about 20 or 25 year olds, they're pretty good. It's people like me. It's your right. 40, 60 year olds that can have the big impact. So I wanna hear about that. And this is the government's chance to create a vision for our recovery. I do worry though, that the health crisis will still be sort of worrying us and plaguing us by then. Uh, but we just have to play that month by month. And wait and see. Hey, Warren Hogan, I really appreciate your time coming on live. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ricardo. All the best to you and your viewers. See you, mate. See ya. That's Warren Hogan there. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Warren Hogan. So that's at underscore Warren Hogan. Well, that is it for this stream. Don't forget the information on this show is general in nature. If you make any investment decision based on any of this, make sure you contact a licensed financial advisor. Your health and your wealth is also all over social media. It's on my Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Periscope and YouTube accounts. And this will be later updated as a podcast on Spotify. Tell your friends. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll see you next time. 